welcome to Estradile Illusions. Uh, I'm going to give you a heads up because in uh, I know last episode I said that there weren't going to be regular episodes for a, a long time, and I was very definitive, and I said we're not going to do reg anything that resembles regular programming soon. And it was like I was almost challenging myself because immediately afterward I'm like, hmm, I liked podcasting, and let's do this. I know I'm busy doing other things, but I wanted to be back. So we've actually – there will be a bunch of new shows coming and uh, in and the episode that is two after this one, you'll hear me repeat this, and that's because I recorded it with a guest yesterday. But because uh, this topic is a little bit more, I don't, I don't want to say time sensitive, because I know it's something that's going to be downloaded for years. But I mean, at this point, it is basically it's more it's more urgent to do an episode this episode right now because we're talking about comic books and comic books come out every week which is exciting but you'll hear me say oh with all of that again i don't like edit i hate editing myself it's always, i don't talk uh in a way that makes editing very easy so you hear that again that's okay more episodes that's fun we're not going to take another three month break until we do and i probably the only way that will happen is if i don't say anything about it so we're going to do krakoa and before we uh do krakoa we have a returning guest uh, who I talk with comic books a lot, uh, and we talked about a TV adaptation of... Com it feels like, honestly, like it feels with, uh, with the CW Cro Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, it feels like that happened as long ago as the actual crisis, which happened before I was even born, <laughs> so I don't, have, I don't have any idea of that. We have Ed Carroll at, uh, here with us. Ed, do you want to tell us a little about yourself? Hi, thanks for having me on again, Ian. Appreciate it. Um, for those who don't know, which is probably a lot of you, um, I am a copywriter slash journalist uh, from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, not a comic expert, but a well-read idiot, as I like to say. Uh, been following along with all of the Dawn of X, Reign of X, uh, really the whole Krakoa era of the comics as they've been um, sort of unfolding. So my entire life, X-Men has been number one since I was a child. I mean, I think maybe part of it was that there were multiple... There have always been... I was born in 91. There have always been multiple X-Books. So if, uh, you know, your parent or your grandparent says, you know, you can only pick one comic book, you can come back and say, like, well, these are the same. Like, you need to read both of these to make sense. And you can have X-Men. You can have X-Force. You can have Uncanny X-Men, Astonishing X-Men, Mediocre X-Men. That's not really... <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of those... I've always loved X Men. Resonate the, um, uh, you know, the themes of that relate so well to homophobia and racism. It's always felt like such a urgent and timely book throughout history because these, are, I mean, these are issues we have not solved. And I, having read more of the X Men than basically any others, Batman would probably be uh, comparable. I. Krakoa just is really, it's honestly, it's probably my favorite era. I love it. It's, it's the most excited I've been since, I mean, I was a child when Grant Morrison, I was only like 10 when Grant Morrison was doing new X-Men, but uh, in hindsight, I realized how special that era was and how that really endeared me to comics. Krakoa has been just amazing. It's been so fun, and I've wanted to talk about it. The problem is comic books come out all the time. You do an issue or you do an episode, and it's instantly irrelevant. It's actually, since we'll be covering the range from House of X 1 through Inferno 1, although Inferno and Sword 8 came out at the same week, so, I mean, we're not, we don't need to talk about Sword 8. It's a good book. I read it. Uh, it's a good Storm Morocco story, but that's the range we're going to cover, and it's already dated because today's Wednesday, and there's already a new new books out. 
But uh, we know how, I mean, even with Ed's last appearance for uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, a TV, an, an episode about the TV special, people still download that. Like, I'm, I'm, I guess they're thinking, like, how many people are still watching, like, this, this show from all the, uh, from last year, although with COVID, it feels like it's 100 years ago. So we know that people in the future, in like, maybe in Mora's 11th or 12th lifetime, are listening to this episode years later, months later. It's going to be a local comic book style chat that we're going to do and uh you know it's it's there's hundreds of books here we don't expect everybody to uh have read them all i gave ed one single assignment to read inferno one i did not care if i mean i it, it probably would have been a bad idea if he'd never read any crook i knew that already though. <laughs> um you know if you haven't read them all i mean if you're if you're somebody who's like oh my god i can't have anything spoiled i mean are you I, i'm skeptical i'm skeptical that somebody's gonna go back and actually read every single one of these uh, this is the range recovering. Uh, it's gonna be a general chat. It's a lot of fun. Um, how do we start? I think probably not to start at the end of our range, but the end in the beginning, kind of going tandem. And it's probably best to talk about Inferno One in relation to. Feels like things are going full circle, and yet it's really it, this is the end of the Hickman era. We don't know for sure. We don't think that this is going to be the end of the Krakoa era necessarily. No, it, it seems like that at least the way Marvel's phrasing it now, they very much intend to continue on, even though Hickman's going to do some other things, um, including some other stuff at Marvel. Uh, but it, it seems like at least this is the end of his grand plans for now. So, I mean, and that's, I, there's three like big standing questions that sort of face or threat situations we, we can call it whatever, that, that are really uh, facing the mutants right now on Krakoa. You've got uh, general dissatisfaction that they went ahead and terraformed Mars, and, I mean, Planet Size X-Men was really... I was, I was kind of down on, on uh, Krakoa a little bit after X of Swords pre-Hellfire Gala. I was kind of sitting there thinking, like, you know, this isn't going to last forever. Why are you guys spinning your wheels a little bit? Excalibur, in particular, and to a lesser extent, Marauders. And then Planet Size X-Men comes out, and they terraform Mars, and it's like, holy shit, they're doing it again. This is this is the comic book that you're just... It's not like any other comic book you may get on a, any given Wednesday with your stack. You know, Al Pacino going in... I just thought of any given Sunday. Um, <laughs> me- mediocre football movie. Uh, it's kind of funny, though. Um, you know, it's it, it felt like one of those books that you'd remember. Because there's, so there's so many comic books, you don't remember them all. But Planet Size X-Men, I was like, oh my god, I made my... my partner reads marauders and a handful of of books but i was just like here read this one you have to read this one it's so exciting yeah um it definitely felt like a bit of a turning point there and i i agree with you um particularly after sort of x of swords some of those books really felt like they were treading water and um it seems like they're really picking up now both as we get inferno you know they got the trial of magnetos also ongoing um and there's what's the other one i'm forgetting uh mutant onslaught i believe well so that so um uh, x-men the onslaught revelation was kind of i mean so i guess i guess way of x i it may have been that i just wasn't keeping up with it at the time but when that came out i didn't know that it was supposed to be just a limited series and i almost feel like it wouldn't because if it was a limited series in the onslaught revelation which really was kind of like the finale of Way of X, I feel like it would have just been numbered Way of X. It was kind of... It, it's really weird how that worked out. Because Way of X started off as a really, really cool book. And 
you know, it's the first book in a while where they're really taking a step back and saying, um, you, you know, let's look at what Krakoa means for us as a society. At, at that point, a lot of the other books were really just living in Krakoa, and they weren't really uh, comprehending. Well, I guess, I mean, New Mutants has kind of done that. They're uh, the New Mutants who are, at this point, 30 40 years old um they're not they're not too new anymore uh, karma mirage uh but they're raising kind of the new generation because uh xavier and magneto are a little aloof i mean it's unclear really what governance they really do they sit in the quiet council uh exodus plays with some children in a scene i mean he's really done jack shit for pretty much the whole thing but uh it's they've got um it's it's kind of hard to think of like who really is responsible for the day to day running of a government there. Yeah, you know they Xavier or Magneto will pop in and you know talk about how they have some big decision upcoming or you know make some comments about how they're very busy with the governance of the island, but you don't really see them most of the time. And when you do see them, it's normally nothing involved in actually governance or, you know, even just like general conspiracy. Yeah, so that's kind of... And there's also for, I guess... I mean, Exoswords ended a long time ago, and there are seats on the Quiet Council that have remained vacant the entire time, not to mention uh, Jean vacated hers. I think she and uh, Apocalypse, uh, their seats have been... uh, uh, gone. Um, I did also because I know that I said that there were three uh, pillars facing the X Men. Before we get too far away, you see, it's, managing a topic like Krakoa is so serious. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's it's all over the place. But so we've got Mars on one end, mutant. I mean, uh, society being not too happy. Uh, there was a the first post Planet Size X Men uh, issue of Sword. I want to say it was Sword Six. Uh, was uh, really cool about that. Because they had Doctor Doom, they had a lot of uh, people were invited. Storms the region of Araco on Mars. So you've got I think that. you're right. I think it was six. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got you've got that going on. Then you've got the Orcus with Nimrod and the Mother Mold, and that seems like it's uh, definitely going to come to a head uh, sooner rather than later. We've got Mars. We've got Orcus. Oh, and we got the Children of the Vault. And maybe the Children of the Vault are. Maybe it's all connected. I I started to think like if if it's possible that really uh, we've got the Orkies, uh, Orcus is going to be the coming to a head of Inferno, and maybe like the problem with Mars and stuff, uh, and maybe the Children of the Vault come back into play when it's time to just totally uh, wrap up Krakoa and hit the hit the big reset button. Yeah, um, there's a lot of moving parts, and I'm not entirely sure, you know, how they're going to put them together or even what they're planning to get to. Um, I think the other thing that seems to, and you might have been getting to this eventually, um, is Mystique and her growing impatience with uh, Xavier and uh, Eric for not resurrecting her wife. Yeah, they've been they've been kind of douchey about it, and and not only that. This is an LGBTQ heavy show. Um, you know, the history of Destiny, if you're not familiar, if you're a casual comic book fan or you just like the movies or whatnot, Mystique and Destiny had a really long, uh, they, they had a quiet, it was subtle, but like going back and reading, like it was obvious that Chris Claremont knew that they were gay and that the Comic Code Authority uh, wouldn't allow gay superheroes. Uh, you know, they'll allow the skimpiest of outfits on everybody, but God forbid. Uh, to, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so and Destiny died in I think it was Uncanny X Men two fifty five. Uh, there's a circumstance involving Legion, who actually recently came back, but he hasn't been involved uh, with uh, any of. I mean, he's he's been doing his own thing away of X, really awkward. I mean, Charles Charles has been coming across as kind of a dick between uh, sort of Destiny is the carrot in the stick, uh, trying to get Mystique on his side, and yet there's this lingering. It's been it's been following us through House of X. It came back in Inferno. It's Destiny's uh, prophecy, basically. There will be an island, not the first, but the last. This place will seem to be hope for our kind. When those days come, remember these words. Bring me back. And if you cannot, if they will not, then burn that place to the ground. Now that that ends uh, Inferno 1, which is really the point that we are uh, supposed to be stopping at. Also Sword 8. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's weird. It's weird because uh, X Men Twenty, which uh, was the final, it was either the final Hickman main X Men before it was uh, re- rebooted, uh, rethemed, and uh, maybe I can't remember if it was uh, X Men Twenty One or not. But uh, they did the Mystique, and they're being the, Xavier's being really mean about it, and that's because he's he's got a balance. Uh, Moira doesn't want Destiny to come back because she is somebody who. Uh, can reincarnate and uh, Destiny can see the future. So that's it's kind of like they're opposite sides of a magnet. They really can't interact. They naturally are kind of in opposition. She's also bitter because Destiny did something mean to her, and Pyro was involved in that. Yeah, <laughs> bringing to like the Inferno name there. Um, that's yeah, and he's got that great face tattoo now. Oh, that tattoo's awesome. <laughs> It's it's this it's this weird situation, but I mean, I was just thinking about it. I was talking to Ed before we came on, and I was saying that I found it odd. So her prophecy, and this is something that's that's come up a few times, and we know it's important, and we know that Hickman uh, Hickman loves the long game, whether it's his Avengers run or he had the comic for Image, uh, East of West, sometimes known as East of West. Um, he, he loves he loves his data sheets. He loves uh, long game uh, and. I mean, it, there's a reason. I, I really do love Jonathan Hickman. He's one of my favorite writers. Uh, he's a lot of fun. But if we look at this situation, it's weird because she says, "Bring me back." Which, if if you've read the end of Inferno, uh, Destiny does come back. But we have this situation where she says, "Bring me back," and if you cannot, if they will not, then burn that place to the ground. If you cannot, if they will not, those those didn't happen. Uh, both at once. They refused, and yet apparently she did it anyway. We don't know how she did it yet, but her her even her destiny right now, as we see it, is clouded as as it stands right now. Maybe that won't be the case, but it it, it definitely sets up a very interesting situation. Yeah, especially because um, uh, again, you know, spoilers. I'm sure I'm assuming most people have read the issue, but um, I believe it's uh, Magneto gets destiny's dna and you know her biological identity or what remains of it from sinister with the intention of erasing it and yet they're still she's still able to come back somehow yeah that's uh and 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 they they kind of went out of their way to say like the five can't be controlled maybe they'll go rogue i mean maybe this whole thing will implode on itself and this whole time i'm also like Initially, when I was kept rereading that, you know, Exit is, is face is in one of the shots, and I'm like, 
You know, this guy hasn't done he of all the Quiet Council people, he's done jack shit the whole series. Is he gonna be part of like the destruction of it? And I mean, since X of Swords also, I've really missed Apocalypse. He was probably one of the MVPs of the first half, just getting to see him. I mean, the best book, I think, really, of the Krakoa run, the single best one would be X-Men 7, The Crucible Issue, where he takes a little baby, Paige Guthrie, and is, is really talking about this noble, honorable thing. And then, of course, Crucible is not. Crucible is pretty messed up. I love Sinister. Um, you know, the Hellions run that he's been pretty heavily featured on has been among my favorites. And yeah, uh, he was definitely one of the highlights of, you know, X of Swords. And while he's been in the Hellions run, as far as the big picture thing, we haven't seen a ton of them. Uh, he popped right. up, you know, during the Hellfire Gala, but he's been mostly in the shadows so far. I don't know if that means, you know, to expect a big role for him in Inferno or not, though. Well, it's 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 interesting because you have uh, Tarn the Uncaring who is uh, living in Arako, and he really hates Sinister, and he knows that Sinister because that you know as all the books post X of Swords were kind of spinning their wheels, I so pre X of Swords I would say that Excalibur was probably I, I, not I would say it's my favorite book I would say it was probably also the best and it was definitely also the single most essential of like the non X. Uh, outside the exact main series, it was probably the most essential pre-X of Swords because it set up everything so well. But then, as all of them were treading water, Hellions came out of nowhere and not only moved the ball forward and, and sort of came into its own as the best book of them all. Zeb Wells has done a fabulous job. But then it also circled back to X of Swords with all of that and brought it full circle and uh, it's it's been so exciting to see all of that. And I, I do think it's going to matter because you got Sinister and Tarn the Uncaring. I mean, Sinister is, is what he's done. He's when it when it when shit shit is going to hit the fan. It's a kind of a question of what happens afterward. Yeah, I'm um, curious to see, you know, uh, what is Hickman going to decide to sort of tie in here? What's he going to wrap up? Because there's a lot of threads just hanging out that, he, you know, could theoretically pull it. Well, I mean, also, like, so with Xavier and Magneto, they've kind of popped in and out of a lot of separate books, which it kind of makes things feel all connected, but at the same time, like, I mean, with the current New Mutants run, which, I mean, that book has been kind of a strange book throughout the Krakoa run because they were doing two plot lines in tandem and they had separate writers. You had Hickman, I think it was Ed Brisson uh, doing the uh, Beak, uh, Boom Boom, Farm storyline. And then uh, most of the original New Mutants were uh, in space. Mm -hmm. And then they came back and uh, then they had a couple episodes, episodes, issues with uh, Magic, setting up X of Swords. Cypher's, I mean, Cypher's been really fun. He's had some touching moments with uh, Warlock lately, who's a little sad because he's a, he's a married man now to... God, that was one of the. Weird I mean, I guess we should probably talk about X of Swords more in in in, in depth because uh, we keep saying uh, you know before X of Swords uh, after yeah. X, of Swords. <laughs> X of Swords had a wedding. I just remember sitting there when the, all of a sudden because I mean Doug seemed like a goner and it seemed like kind of something that Krakoa would would want to explore the idea of what would you do if you have if you don't have somebody who can communicate with Krakoa the the tree with the face uh, like the great Deku tree from Ocarina of Time. Um, that's a. I got that. 
Oh, hopefully, hopefully, people listening. I I think we're all you know. Comic books tend to attract adult fans. I think we all played Legend of Zelda. Um, it we it would have been interesting, but instead they're like, hey, let's do a wedding, and that was pretty. That was pretty exciting. That was fun. Did you like Axe of Swords? Um, I thought it was overall pretty good. I loved the lead up and the like sort of initial part of Axe of Swords, and then once they got to the actual games, I thought it was a bit of a letdown. Um, although then I thought, you know, the sort of final fight was pretty excellent. Um, I think I remarked at the time that if you were going to make an X-Men video game, X of Swords would be a pretty cool story to adapt simply because you could have access to, you know, a bunch of different characters and different types of gameplay. But as far as, uh, sort of a storyline, I felt it lacked some things, namely, um, Although there were some, you know, pretty big shakeups, namely uh, Araco coming and connecting with Krakoa and Apocalypse leaving. Yeah, they um, swap. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it sort of lost steam there at the end. Um, although I would love to see poor Og, poor Og Pog again. The, oh, yeah, uh, he was the, he was the, the, guy. the, he was the breakout star. You know... X of Swords, there was all the buildup, you had all the issues where people are getting their swords, where, you know, Doug is being trained by magic not to die, uh, Wolverine's issue. He goes to hell. Yeah, that was that was really exciting. Um and then you just had you had all these data pages about all the places in other worlds. And I mean how not only not only how how not only did like was it not that important for people to study all the areas because very few of them really mattered like when they go back to places like they've been to the crooked market in uh I, I, excalibur at least I, I, new mutants they went to other world too um the book will tell you what you need to know those data pages sometimes it's like you so i look at the clock i'm like i'm reading this data page for five minutes in, <laughs> ten, in 10 minutes i'm gonna have forgotten everything in here I, sometimes I look at the data pages. And I'm like, I have a master's degree in English literature, and I'm sit, sitting at this comic book, staring at it, trying to make sense of it. And I feel like an idiot. Yeah, the, the other issue I had with uh, X of Swords was that one of the big—I don't like calling it a conflict—but sort of one of the big problems that arose in it was that they realized that if you died in the other world, it sort of corrupted your data when they tried to resurrect you. But even that limitation sort of disappeared when they got tired of it and wanted to bring back Betsy Braddock. Yeah, which which boy did they did they take their sweet fucking time to do that? I mean, yeah, she should have been basically revived. And Excalibur, it's been fun. You know, I, I love that they hinted. I would have loved more. It was very. It's been basically. I mean, pretty much confirmed that Richter and Apocalypse had their little thing. They had a little bit of a relationship, which is, I mean, it's very odd. The power dynamic, most powerful mutant, and then, like, kind of a cast-off of uh, the New Mutants X-Force world. I mean, I've always liked Richter a lot. I loved when they first introduced him and made him uh, Lovers of Shatterstar. I hated in Deadpool 2, the movie, when they said that Shatterstar was lame. Shatterstar is, like, the opposite of lame. (laughs) Shatterstar is, like, subversively... Like he does kind of look lame, but he's act- there's actually a lot. Tim Seeley did a Shadowstar miniseries a couple years ago that was pretty fun, um, and they're really well written by. Uh, 
I know Shutterstar is at least bisexual. I don't know if Richter is uh, bi or gay, or it doesn't matter. Um, I feel like uh, he's at least bi. Uh, well, yeah, like, they're in the rela- yeah. I mean, yeah. I, um, he's had his plenty of his relationships with men. I just I can't remember if he likes women again or not. Um, but uh, they've been really well written LGBTQ characters because they have they have a real connection, Richter and Shatterstar, which the Hellfire Gala showed enough we had a little scene in x-factor and we had a little scene at the end of uh, excalibur x-factor boy that's uh that book was and i guess like i i refer to it in the past tense but trial of magneto is kind of an extension of x-factor in some ways they're both written by mm-hmm. leah williams who wrote uh, i think my favorite work of hers would be the amazing mary jane which is a very fun spider spinoff uh she goes to work on the set of a movie that mysterio is directing and it's, I mean, for somebody like me who works on the peripheral of show business and kind of understands that stuff, uh, it was exciting. But she's a good writer. X Factor! X Factor! I struggled with as a book because I liked the characters. I loved the queer inclusivity. And right from the get-go, it seemed like this book had zero interest in its own premise. Like, it seemed like they wanted to do anything other than investigate <laughs> deaths. That that's a great way of putting it, um, because yeah, the really interesting characters, and uh, you almost wish that they had used them any other way, because they had no interest in investigating the deaths. Um, I, there was that random stretch where they were in the Mojo verse, which was fun, but um, didn't really seem too connected to the overall narrative, other than they needed to find. Oh, I'm blanking on who it was, and I'm going to kick myself. Shatterstar. Oh, no, Pixie. Pixie. Yes. Um, um, Shatterstar was also there, though. Yeah, he, he was part of that. Uh, but I, I do love just, uh, I mean, Deccan might be one of my new favorite characters based on that run. Yeah, he's really, and it was great to see uh, Polaris got to shine. Now she's on, uh, now she's a member of the X-Men uh, that was all fun. I, the siren stuff towards the end with the Morgan. I mean, well, part of the other problem, this is something that S.W.O.R.D. has had to deal with a lot, is the idea that, yes, uh, these are self-contained books, but uh, Marvel is Marvel, which means there's a lot of crossovers. And not just within the X-Books, but, you know, S.W.O.R.D. has had to deal with, well, it, it came out after X of Swords, but it had to deal with The King in Black, which uh, was a very fun crossover, but um, I mean, it's the elephant, it's the Null in the room. You know, if he's if Null has taken over the world, he can't not have touched Krakoa, and yet, like the book, I mean, not every book really referenced it. They did a little bit. It kind of felt like an X Factor immediately. I think like their second or third, maybe I think it was the third issue was an X of Swords issue. And it, it, it just it felt like it felt like they were being suffocated. Like if they're treading water, it feels like sometimes these crossovers were pushing them down a bit, uh, and making it making it hard for people to get really invested in this book. Because if you think about X Factor, you know they've got X of Swords. You know they went to the Mojo Verse, and then they had the Hellfire Gala. I mean, what time was there for them to have actually have done any any investigating? Let, I mean, they didn't seem interested in it, but if they did, they didn't really they wouldn't have had time to do it. Yeah, um, it, some of these crossovers, while they're fun, it, it does seem to sort of get in the way of pacing, and I, it, I can imagine it drives some of these writers crazy. Um, you know, I've been reading along with some of the other books uh, through Marvel Unlimited, and 
I'm just I'm at the Hellfire Gala now with a lot of those, although I jumped ahead for Inferno and Trial of Magneto. Um, but, you know, there's a few books where it's almost like, all right, you know, we're in the middle of something, but we got to pause because we got to get ready for the Hellfire Gala. And then, you know, you get an issue or two of Hellfire Gala festivities, and then I'm assuming they're going to go back to whatever story they were in the middle of. Yeah, and that's kind of what it's been. Um, it's 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 a case. I mean, I, I, I've been really good at, I've read all, but I, th- I have not read the, I think there's been two Wolverines since the Hellfire Gala. I haven't read those. I've read literally every other Krakoa, but Annihilation was another crossover that just happened, and I got the cable one shot old man cable uh kit whoop not only is apocalypse gone now kid cable has gone back to the future the summer's family on the moon their little sex throuple with wolverine i guess you know rachel and uh, uh cable come and kid cable come and go on that now their family they're gonna have boring dinners now with the four people who are left over uh now we got kid uh, old man cable is back he's supposed to be joining sword uh i don't really want to spoil at sword eight but he does not appear in it. That's not really a spoiler. Um, I, I assume he will join the book next issue because C- Cable was kind of announced as being Kid Cable was kind of announced as being part of it at first, and then they kind of switched gears. They did a really, really, really good manifest issue. I think it was the second. I think it might have been the third issue. And he's a really interesting character. He was in uh, Hickman's Avengers run. Uh, He's manifold, I think. It's not manifest. Because he folds in. He's not a teleporter. Reality folds into him. And that's a really good storytelling. That's That was a really good book. You read that one? Uh, I read the, not the Avengers one, but I did, re- I've read Sword and that one that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, it it kind of, the it's similar to what they did with the Avengers. But, I mean, he's a very fascinating character. I'd love to see more of him. I know Sword with being kind of like the Krakoa, uh, uh, point of view from space has a lot on its mind, but I mean they have a really good core team with Brand and uh, Manifold and all of that. I, I think you can make the case that a lot of these books have you know a good core team of interesting characters, and it's almost you know there still almost isn't enough time to explore all of them. It seems. Yeah, and that's I mean that's kind of been a frustration of Marauders, which uh, fell into the category. I mean. They had an entire issue dedicated to saying goodbye to Storm. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, you know, it's been, like, five issues since you did any marauding. Like, do we really—you're reminiscing—what are you—you're reminiscing about stories that were never told. Like, this is nostalgia that I don't care about or that that nobody has any reference to. And she's going off to do—I mean, she's the region of Morocco now, so, I I mean, they didn't need that. The King in Black Marauders issue was really refreshing because that was just a straight 22-page adventure they got to actually be on the boat. And it wasn't that the one where they rescued sailors too, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. uh, there, there were, uh, and, and they got to, they, they battled the null dragons, which, uh, were a lot of fun. And it was also, it, it was also fun. Cause I mean, with King and black, you've got, I mean, the big crossovers at the end of the day is just like, you know, dozens of heroes fighting all these villains. And there's like a lot to look at on the page, but, sometimes it can blend together and here in marauders it's like tactical combat you've got ice the ice man fighting the dragons and it, it seemed like the stakes were much higher even though all the people could be resurrected you knew nobody was really going to die in a one-shot marauders book that really had nothing to do with the rest of king of black but it was it was still really exciting and it was fun to read and it was also the first like actual action they had had in quite a while um 
like you said, you know, that book started off really strong. And then I, I feel like right around when uh, Kate, Kate Pride died was when it sort of dropped off and really just got stuck in a rut. Yeah, so so Shogo is still a baby. Jubilee's child is still a baby. Uh, uh, Anoli, the mutant, is still a little child, even though his uh, homosexuality has been explored for like 15 years now. He's still a little baby in the new mutant, basically. But uh, we have we have Catherine Pride. Kitty Pride is now Kate Pride. She's had uh, one of the biggest evolutions. She's, you know, as as a trans person, I can relate to somebody who wants to, to change their name, but. Uh, uh, that's been some kind of fun shit. She did get those weird knuckle tattoos. Uh, kill Fuckshaw. It was a Killshaw or Fuckshaw. I don't remember. It was. Uh, I think it's Killshaw, but you, it might be Fuckshaw. I don't um, yeah. Well, what's really interesting? I mean, I do like some of the Hellfire uh, Trading Company stuff, and like Shaw's an interesting character. Emma. When I was growing up, uh, Emma was just really starting to be integrated into like the main X because like, I guess in the '90s she would have uh, had Generation X with Trinary and Jubilee, and uh, uh, Banshee would have been the other mentor of the team, and Emma Frost. So I was I I was really growing up with uh, Emma being treated as like a top tier mainline good I mean, as good a person as she is. She's not really the best person in the world, not the worst. I don't know. Maybe she's a better person than Xavier. Xavier's been kind of a dick lately. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lot closer now, at least in this era, I'd say. Yeah, so, like, it's been fun to have that kind of stuff. But, I mean, you go through all the X-Men history. I mean, they've done stuff like this with the Hel like Hellfire. I think they can kind of get a little up their own ass with the Hellfire stuff. And not, not only on top of that, you know, to have a book like X-Corp, which we haven't talked about, which is essentially the X-Men version. It's it's pretty obvious that Teeny Howard is doing uh, uh, Succession, the TV show, just as a book, as, as X-Corp. There's all this drama about board members. Uh, they're very readable issues. It's not a great... It's not an essential series. It's not a great series. I don't think anybody wants cares about the business side of the X-Men's pharmaceuticals. And to have the health... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, uh, it, I've only read uh, three issues of it so far. I think like five are out, and it, it's it hasn't captivated me, although I do like Multiple Man. He's fun. So Jamie Madrox was basically one of my all-time favorite characters. Uh, I loved, loved, loved the second generation of X-Factor, which had its main numbering, but it, it went from the original five X-Men to uh, the team with Havoc and Polaris, Multiple Man, and uh, that was a really, really, really fun team. And uh, the Peter David's run with uh, X Factor in the 2000s, and he had a Jamie Madrox um, a series. Uh, really, really fascinating character. He's almost been reduced to like a, a joke almost in this. I mean, he's a smart joke, but a joke. Yeah, um, I keep hoping they'll do more with him, but uh, a lot of it just seems to be like, oh, you know, I have a problem and I can replicate myself to fix it and then, you know, eventually learn whatever my duplicate thing. So I feel like with X-Corp, if, if, if you really wanted to explore the business side of X, of, of Krakoa, you could have just basically expanded the, the Marauders, uh, the Hellfire trading company kind of like you could, you could, you could explore that a little bit in there versus just like, okay, uh, Emma and Shar are going to like wrestle forever uh, over quiet council seats. That, I mean, 
we don't see a lot of the one of the few times the Quiet Council really did anything that mattered was um, when they all volunteered Sinister to go on to lead his team to go into into other worlds and to go and screw with the sabotage the Amanth team. They don't. Yeah, they, do. uh, they don't. They haven't done anything. You know, uh, like you said, they still have those two empty seats, which is for such a big deal that they made of it. it it's weird that they, it doesn't get mentioned. Um, yeah and uh, oh sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say also yes i agree i would have liked to see x corp incorporate more of the hellfire club and that aspect of you know the business side if that's what they wanted to explore but um doesn't seem like they're interested in that no they're just doing drama about boards i really couldn't give two shits they did a data page on the vote for uh giving people board seats like seriously who cares? I haven't looked at the sales for this book. Who I cannot believe many people are buying or going, running to their store. I mean, my local shop, which which does really well, is like down to basically you have to pull X, like Excalibur. I don't think they have shelf copies anymore. I can't imagine X Corp is like that popular right now. And I, I keep, I've kept up with so many of them. I mean, Wolverine, I've always, I'll, I'll always think of Wolverine as basically like, okay. I grew up in a time where you could get Wolverine in basically every Marvel book. He was on the he was on like eight different mm-hmm. teams basically. Why would I want to read his solo book? And yeah. it's interesting. He's a fun character, but he's so overexposed. And I mean, it's not like you, you're hurting in the Krakoa era for him in the other books either. Um, you know, no shade to his book, but he shows up. Uh, I think it's X Force. Is that right? Yeah. Well, he's X- he's. So X-Force, I mean, he's a major part of the team, and he's been involved in a lot of the books lately. That did basically start off as a Domino book. They had that weird, well, they had that weird sequence early on where they accused Colossus of basically being like a traitor, which just, it was so outlandish and forced, but I that is coming back into play mm-hmm. uh, in, in something that's coming up that's been... Uh, uh, solicited i know he's 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 gonna come i, I sorry there's some long game and ben percy who writes x-force and wolverine they're not like super in tandem books they're a little bit i know the marauders appeared early on in wolverine i mean i guess kind of a problem right now when we touched on it with x-factor with the mojo stuff is it feels like they're kind of bending over backwards to try and include every person from the x-men history and like we have uh we have the shadow king is currently in new mutants we just had onslaught omega red's been all over the place in wolverine it's kind of like look strife. You, you yeah strife you strife siren i or uh i guess siren's been a good guy and a bad guy i think um strife but strife too at the end of cable um it's it's like we don't need we don't need this doesn't need to just be nostalgia infused into Krakoa. You don't have to mention every. You don't have to bring everybody into this. Yeah, I mean the fact that they started out the Krakoa era very deliberately, you know, bringing over people like Apocalypse, who you know, traditionally very much the arch villain. Um, I don't think we really need that now, though. Two plus years into this era. Yeah, I mean the the onslaught revelation, which uh, I didn't I didn't tell you to read beforehand. I read it and it was I was like, you know, we've got all these great. It, the issue focused a lot on uh, Fabian Cortez, who has popped up a couple times. 
A lot of it read like really meta. He was annoyed that, you know, his power is to en enhance other mutants, and so he doesn't get to be a starring role, and he's talking about it, and it's kind of like, okay, you're getting a little meta here, and Onslaught's like trying to... I would have loved to, like, if you're going to bring an Onslaught, have him, like, attack the mainframe of, like, Cerebro or something. And Well, we've got more. What's weird about Inferno is it's kind of implied, so Mora has her little hiding spot, but apparently she can just come and go as she pleases, and she's pissed that she has a tracker, but Krakoa has a lot of telepaths, so how is she getting around? Yeah, and how has nobody, like, how has Emma not noticed her? Or Sage. any of the other telepaths, yeah. Especially the ones who, you know, might not have the same sort of restraint. Um, you'd think that somebody would just pick up on her hanging out there. And people are watching the gates. That's been kind of a recurring theme. They did a, uh, I'm pretty sure it was New Mutants, kind of did a, a, a basically like an alt-right character caricature like an info wars sort of tra trash uh anti-mutant people uh tracking the gates the idea that she's just going around i mean and there's also there's also the people who uh worship krakoa and they put uh they have the x scars on their face the red it's kind of like a handmaid's tale meets uh QAnon or something very uh weird stuff i just like i'm sitting there thinking like how is she getting around and and how has nobody noticed that she's under like the the island got attacked by like fungus yeah earlier you had black mm -hmm. there was the the tank of the ship that went down it's weird stuff hey black tom cassidy apparently doesn't know nobody knows nobody knows more is just hanging around you know uh doug hasn't been told by krakoa itself that you know that gate exists because Krakoa, as they make it as a living island, you know, you'd think it'd be aware. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I feel like we almost need to, like, touch base more with Kr Like, it was really touching uh, in, in X of Swords early on where, where the Krakoa was really hesitant, did not want Doug to go. Because mm -hmm. new new Doug was not a. I mean, Doug is like the worst hum, uh, mutant to put on a superhero team because he has he has basically his his only power is his friend Warlock. Uh, you know, you can't really fight with him. He's a hard guy to like. You know, write into an action scene because really, if if he was on a team, what you and you had people like Magic on the team, what you would do is you would tell Doug to find somewhere to hide. Yeah, and he wouldn't fight. Uh, he's not a fighter, and Krakoa was really protective of him, and it's like, oh, and and Krakoa also wanted wanted to be reunited with Arako, and for at least a little from post X of Swords until the Hellfire Gala, Arako and and Krakoa were reunited. We didn't really hear what Krakoa felt about Arako being moved to the uh, to Mars. Yeah, they just kind of did that, and it was assumed that you know it was all okay with Krakoa. So. We right now can talk about that and think maybe is this a plot hole? What's interest? What will be interesting is if down the road it turns out that like, what if the island turns on the mutants? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I hadn't considered that. Yeah, I mean, maybe Krakoa will be pissed because, I mean, the big the, so part of the big problem. So uh, they've also been kind of dealing with the idea that the the UK uh, no longer recognizes. Uh, Krakoan sovereignty, which is awkward because Betsy Braddock is Captain Britain and is a mutant, and uh, that, that that whole situation is awkward. But it's still, like, they designated Arako as the uh, lead planet in the solar system. 
it's weird that you have places like the Shi'ar Empire and all these other planets, and then you've got this uh, planet like Earth with a billion different countries. Yeah. So, like, I wonder if Krakow wants the mutants to just take over. There are people who want just the mutants to to assume their place as, as Homo Superior. Um, I don't know. I think a fallout with Krakoa is not out of the question. It's certainly something that's interesting to think about. How do you think this is all going to end? Um, I don't know. Uh, part of it is because I do wonder how long they continue. Um, if they had stuck to Hickman's original plan, uh, you know, if it is still going to sort of, if he had a plan for how it ends, I, without knowing that, I'm not sure. I can see a part where Krakoa either turns on them or there seems to be, you know, some sort of uh, trap might be the wrong word, but some sort of tables being turned and Krakoa not being the paradise that they initially think it is. Um, you know, when some new information comes to light, if that happens, uh, I could also sort of see it where the mutants end up turning on themselves. Um, you know, we're seeing some of that with Mystique and how she's been upset, but I, I could see it going further, uh, particularly once they find out, you know, some of the stuff that Xavier and Magneto have been doing behind everyone's backs. That Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, so I think in the imminent short term, which uh, I, I say knowing that this podcast will be downloaded months down the road when this is answered, and whether I'm right or wrong, people can look it up and, and laugh at me if I'm wrong. Uh, and that wouldn't be nice if you do that, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, is is I, I, The votes are there to put Destiny on the on the quiet council i think that i think that does happen uh in in, in whether it's inferno 2 or, or whatever because i mean i i've brought up exodus a few times the stark reality is that exodus is a pro mystique vote and if you <laughs> were to remove him uh you know you'd have to put another mutant who's like exodus uh if if, if mystique is going to stand up to eric and to charles she's going to need votes to do it so she has the hellfire votes plus Exodus, uh, then I, I, th I think that's, that's, that is uh, five votes there. Um, uh, sinister, too, also. Yeah, she, I mean, that's a power. She she can do something with that. The So I think there is probably some uh, inner mutant strife that's coming. Um, and, you know, I, I could also see, depending on what happens with Inferno, uh, the idea that we get a very different sort of political system in Krakoa eventually or multiple systems. Um, you know, it's been well, relatively unified so far. What was interesting about trial of Magneto. And it's also, it's very odd that we have Magneto on trial. And yet like you, you would never guess that he was currently on trial. If you read Inferno one, I don't think they made a single mention to that. They, they um, did not. It, it, it is a bit odd. Um, it almost makes you think they should stagger these a bit, but yeah, it's 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 that that whole thing is odd. I mean, maybe they were just like, I mean, I read Leah Williams's end thing at the end of X Factor Ten when she's talking about how like they're all so close as a team. I don't know. Maybe they were like, you know, X Factor's canceled. Here, have something fun to do. Uh, I mean, they, this is a business. That's certainly something that's mm -hmm. uh, interesting. And and I, I think the Trial of Magneto Two was a really interesting book because they got to bring the Avengers onto the island, and we hadn't really we hadn't seen that really. I wonder if that does come back into play with because I mean the Avengers have got to be against Krakoa at some point because it's it's, it's it, no no one would be pleased at what happened with Mars. 
Yeah, and I, I think a few of them. Uh, I don't want to say were no, explicitly unhappy with it, but it seemed like they were at least uneasy with it. Um, and then you had. I wasn't sure exactly who it was. I don't think it was T'Challa, but there was someone as a representative from the Intergalactic Empire of Wakanda um, in that sword issue right. who was also, um, you know, kind of saying that, no, we're not really okay with this, but we're not going to do anything about it now. And they've got that new metal Mysterium, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal for like, I mean, we've had adamantium and vibranium for a really long time. Now we've got a new thing, and it's just kind of there, and the Wakandans don't even want it. Uh, I mean, Wakanda's done a lot of interesting things in space. Uh, Tennessee Coates has done a—he uh, he literally just finished up his run on uh, Black Panther, which uh, was definitely—I mean, the, the most fun that I've had with the book since Christopher Priest was the writer, but uh, Reginald Hudland also did a good job. Black Panther's been a really solid book, and uh, as a political junkie— uh, dealing with the politics of Wakanda has been really interesting. I mean, that's also kind of the appeal of Krakoa. This is this is such a living, breathing entity, and it feels like it feels like we're being arbitrarily kind of marched towards the end of this thing. It's kind of annoying. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously it's comics, so you you expect there to be some sort of end. You expect it to eventually get some sort of reset, um, but it does feel like there's a lot of storytelling left here, and. I do sort of worry that, you know, they're just a bit in a rush to wrap some of it up quickly. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there's the Children of the Vault stuff, too. Um, it, I mean, it is a problem moving forward for Marvel. Like, I remember uh, a couple, uh, like, two months ago when the when Gary Duggan's uh, X-Men was relaunched, uh, people say, well, is this a good jumping on point? And it's like, wait, if you haven't read all of Krakoa, no. And I, I don't, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think if you hadn't read, if, if you've read a little bit here and there, you can jump on. But uh, that team has the dynamic of uh, Laura Wolverine, X-23 Wolverine, and Sync uh, got out of the, or children, uh, they got out of the vault. They'd been in the vault for like a thousand years. And she doesn't remember, and Sync does, and they're on the same team. That has to come back into play. But it's also like I remember when they first I was like uh, like fifteen or six, X Men uh, fifteen or sixteen they did two straight issues where they were in the vault and I'm sitting there thinking like is this thing expanding beyond any like ability to constrain itself or is this is this gonna f eventually feel anticlimactic that they're bringing in all of this stuff i mean it's possible that nimrod links up with them they have the fourth generation of the children of the vault and they're just like they go and run rampant on krakoa but at the same time like i'm sitting there being like you know this is really getting unwieldy yeah it, it, it uh this is probably a little unfair to marvel but it reminds me of like lost in seasons five and six oh where god they just yeah stuff. oh god <laughs> That is a very apt comparison, and they're on an island too, uh, and yeah. they do have shit. They do have secret little vaults, um, although the vault is not on Krakoa. But uh, yeah, like that's that's gonna have to come into play. Um, we have not mentioned. I would like to, fifty minutes into the podcast, offer a meager defense of the book that everybody shits on, called Fallen Angels. Everybody hates it, thinks it's like a really shitty book. I actually, I liked it. It did what it was supposed to. I mean. The four main the four main figures in it, uh, X twenty three, Kid Cable, uh, Quentin, Psylocke, and uh, Mister Sinister, 
all went on to do very important things. So, like, it wasn't the worst idea to have them doing something. The story didn't all come together as well as it could. Uh, one book does need to be the worst of uh, the Krakoan era, and I wouldn't say it's Fallen Angels. I would say it's probably Children of the Atom, which felt really, really kind of superfluous. And that book had been delayed for a year anyway, so I think everybody knew it was superfluous. Um, Fallen Angels was not that bad. Yeah, um, I read Fallen Angels a while ago and didn't hate it. I, I definitely liked, you know, what spun out of Fallen Angels, um, particularly Hellions. Uh, but I gotta kind of agree on Children of the Atom. I wanted to like that book a lot more than I did. Um, it, it just, I like the idea of introducing, you know, a bunch of new mutants and the idea of like, what about the mutants who aren't on Krakoa, who don't necessarily have the means to live there, but it, it super filious. That's the good way to describe it. It just felt like it did not matter. Yeah. And, uh, you, you, brought up something that I, I wanted to talk about which is the idea you know we have we now have a for i mean it was basically like two years we had a situation where we didn't have a proper main x-men team and when it came time to actually make one I, i've gone back and forth on whether i want this team or not because uh on one end i didn't really miss it on the other end it would be weird if krakoa finished without at least exploring what does it mean if if the world still has an x-men that's independent they'll live off of krakoa they'll live in a giant tree in central the, the most unrealistic thing i grew up right outside <laughs> uh I, I grew up right outside new york city uh westchester i always found it fascinating with all these books that are uh basically set in california all the movies set in california all of that that uh, the Xavier School for uh, Gifted Youngsters was basically like a 15-minute drive from my house. Uh, so I always thought that was cool. And then they moved the team to Central Park. Now they got this giant tree in Central Park. Central Park is the most expensive real estate in the world. You get well, paid for the danger money, room. I guess. <laughs> well, they talk about X-Men Gold, the kind of like uh, revamp of the Claremont era from a couple years ago. Uh, which was unspectacular, but very, very readable, interesting. I liked it. They had the old man Logan still at that point. Um, and they were talking about how they had to pay, they had to pay like tax or something on it. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is so stupid. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we, the mansion's been gone. Uh, giant size X-Men, the Nightcrawler issue, they go back and you'd think they'd leave like a Castellan there. Like Stannis Baratheon did a better job taking care of two separate places, Storm's End and Dragonstone, than uh, Xavier apparently did for his old house that's like the most historic monument of, of the entire series. And now it's like derelict and it's filled with crap. That apparently still had a bunch of useful, like at least sensitive things in there yeah. that they needed to go get. Yeah, you, uh, you're, you're supposed to like destroy that shit. Like when you when you leave, like if it, if you're an embassy and you're getting attacked, what you burn the papers before you run. You don't you don't just leave everything and run away. Um, yeah, the more I think about it, the more I think I could see um, some ramifications for Xavier for his actions uh, before the Krakoa era is done. Um, to the point where if it doesn't happen, I might be a little disappointed. Yeah, and. Oh, I think this X-Men team, uh, Gary Duggan is, is one of my uh, favorite writers currently. I mean, my absolute favorite currently working at Marvel is Al Ewing, who's done great work on, he's writing Sword right now. He did Immortal Hulk. He's on Guardians. Right? He's, every, he's everywhere. He's also writing this comic, We Only Find Them When They're Dead, 
and somebody has uh, all the variant covers for that. So not 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 the incentive variants, but the alternative. That's the they're gonna make that into a show, and I'm gonna sell those and make a lot of money. Um, it's a good series <laughs> though. Uh, Simone DeMeo does the art. Uh, Al Ewing is is a really fun writer. Uh, so I like having Gary Duggan. I mean, sometimes Hickman can be a little too heady. Sometimes I think he's up his own ass a little bit um, with his his giant plot. All the data. Do you like the data pages? Uh, I go back and forth. I do like, especially in the beginning of almost all the issues where, you know, here's the X-Men characters you'll see in this one, and here's what they look like. Um, particularly for, you know, since there is such an expansive cast across all the books, I appreciate that. Some data pages I find more interesting than the others. Um, but yeah, sometimes it is, uh, it's a it's a lot. And, you know, like, is this important? Is this something I need to pour over? Or is this a red herring? Is this just something, you know, Hickman having fun with us? Well, I found a lot of times I'd uh, smoke some pot and I'd want to read a comic and I would not touch any X-Men one because I didn't <laughs> want to screw around with the data pages. Somebody, somebody, I saw a meme about that, like, Smoking out, lighting up a blunt, and then it's like hitting a, a data page. But um, with the, so, I mean, some of these, like the the first Exoswords, which I forget the exact name, it had a special name, and Stasis and Destruct. Exoswords was mostly set across the series, but they had three that were one shots. And mm-hmm. that first one was such a chore, and it came out basically like a week after one of those ten dollar giant death metal issues. And I'd been collecting all of death metal and. and cursing death metal because i'm like this is too long one of they're milking this teat for the teats run dry and these comics are taking me more than an hour to read individually and this is this hobby sucks now i don't want to do this anymore <laughs> uh, so I, sometimes it's just like you know i want to read a comic I, I was finding myself going back to when they were in san francisco and being like the, the uh matt fraction among others I was like, you know, no data pages. I can read a book like this in like ten minutes. This is this is lovely. I, uh, why don't I burn through a few of these and skip the skip? Thinking of the like fraction uh, issue of Hawkeye where it was in uh, Lucky the Pizza Dog's point of view, and there was oh, almost the no dialogue. That's the best. Well, one of the best uh, issues of the uh, Krakoa run, uh, Giant Size X Men, Gene uh, and Emma, where they go into Storm Subconscious. That's uh, basically. If, if it has any dialogue, it's at like the first and the end. Most mm-hmm. of the, most of it's no art. That was fabulous. Uh, we haven't seen. What was weird about the giant size X Men's? They were there. There were five of them, and then there was the planet size. But it was uh, Nightcrawler, then uh, uh, MNG, and then Magneto, and then Phantom X and Storm. The Phantom X and the Storm one were very linked in a way that the others were not. Uh, mm-hmm. But but uh, Magneto built his little base where he keeps going to. So that that for a while, because the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, Hickman long game, but then also comic books are designed for people to basically pick up and read at will. And that's a struggle. That's a balance that uh, Hickman's always kind of done a really good job with, with his career. But Magneto, I'm like, at the end of the giant size X-Men's, because they all kind of came out well, one month after another, I'm like, does any of this matter? And the Magneto one actually really did matter, which was nice. But um, we haven't seen Phantom X yet, or again in a while. That was kind of weird. Uh, it was fun, though. I like him a lot as a character. Yeah, um, like you said, I find myself asking that a lot with some of the data pages. You know, like, is this matter going to matter? Do I need to obsess over, you know, this redacted part of the document? Is that actually going to 
pay off because like I'm thinking of um, in this case at least the Marauders series there was a bunch of them early on going over about you know sort of the structure of the Hellfire Club and the different bishops and queens yeah and yeah barely got into that that was so dumb and now Bishop is the captain of Krakoa now yeah uh, war <laughs> captain so is he even really yeah I mean so what was kind of funny is like post X of Swords Marauders they were doing really interesting stuff in Madripoor and then but they kept like couldn't resist the allure of just Sebastian Shaw who Sebastian Shaw is basically the same character he was when uh Claremont first wrote him in the the uh basically at the start of the Phoenix uh he hasn't changed much he's he's fun but I mean New Mutants, New Mutants' cast is way too big for that book to be able to handle. And I keep thinking, like, it, right now, too, Vita Ayala, uh, an, a non-binary writer who's uh, really, really great uh, at, at that, uh, also did Children of Adam, which I didn't think was uh, as good, but I, I became familiar with their work through uh, Prisoner X, which was a Bishop book during the Age of X-Men. Uh, X-Man. Nate Gray. I love Nate Gray, by the way. Um uh, from a couple of years ago. That was really exciting. Uh, New Mutants and Rod Reese has been the artist on that. It's really abstract art. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, it's a yeah, wild art. Yeah. It is. It makes it worth it because it's, it's one of the more expendable books. Like, it, it, it's it's not a must read, mm. but it, it's, it's interesting. And, and I, I like that because people listening have not read all of these they're certainly not buying them i know like one person who's pulling all of krakow and i think they're absolutely insane um <laughs> yeah I, I mean i'm reading uh, the ones i am reading other than like inferno uh trial of magneto i'm doing on marvel unlimited yeah i'm not paying to pull all these i pull i pull the main x-men excalibur x-force i pulled cobble i pull cable i i call cable cobble, cobble. um <laughs> That's that's I, my partner is gonna be when she gets home and finds out I slipped on that she'll be happy. Um, we have two stuffed bears that uh, we claim are from different parts of a multiverse. One of them is named Nate to be X Man, and the other is referred to as Cobble. They're supposed to be the same same personality. All, it's it's really stupid. Uh, people listening this far into a Krakoa podcast know exactly what I'm talking. This is the perfect audience to tell that to, though. Uh, it's yeah, it's. Pulling all of these, it's 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 hard. I mean, but but reading along with uh, it's it's fun though because you get to read some. You get to have Krokoa every week, and then there's the ones that you get to kind of go back to, and it doesn't punish you that badly for that kind of stuff, which is nice at least. Yeah, um, I think it's been you know I wouldn't go out and buy them all individually, but if you're listening to this months later or even you know next week or whatever, and you do have something like Marvel Unlimited or a way to access them all, they're worth reading in general um some of them are duds but overall i think this era has just been pretty fantastic if you're an x-men fan even if you know i i liked x-men um i'm a little bit older than you but i remember when you know the x-men were essentially marvel's biggest thing and uh it, it feels like a bit of a return to form a return yeah. to the you know excellence in this run for them well yeah because i mean People more broadly will speak and say, "Oh, well, Disney didn't doesn't have the right, didn't for a while have the rights to the X Men. Therefore, the same with the Fantastic Four, uh, they're uh, you know going to be biased against them." 
I mean, the the Marvel Comics line has always been pretty X heavy. They 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 I never got the idea that that there was some mandate to punish the X books, but I mean they you know there the, was a the stuff, brief time where they were sort of de-emphasized, but I mean they were still pumping yeah. them out. No. Well, then, I mean, Bendis was doing the book, uh, which wasn't really that spectacular. Um, and I, I always get, I, I think he kind of gets a bad rap. I think he's done a lot of great work. He's done a lot of work. He's going to, you know, and it's not all going to be good. But when they brought the, when they brought the original uh, X-Men to the present, that X-Men Blue, it, it felt a little gimmicky. Uh, and then Kid, 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 Kid Cobble comes and kill, or sends him back and uh, kills his, kills his older self and, you know, it's kind of sad I, that Matt, Madeline Pryor is, in terms of female characters, like has gotten one of the worst sandbaggings. She had a nice, happy life with Cyclops, and then Marvel mandated that X Factor before Jean be resurrected, and then she became a clone of Jean and crazy, just so that Cyclops wouldn't divorce her and lose everybody. Um, and now X the Krakoa won't resurrect her. They they won't resurrect her even though Havoc wants her, and yet they will resurrect. They'll give Kid Cobble's spot to Old Cobble to resurrect him. I was gonna say their justifications for uh, Madeline Pryor have not been exactly uh, coherent, other than you know she's a clone and she got outvoted for to bring her back. Um, but the sort of resentment that Havoc has over it has been an interesting little storyline, sub storyline in uh, Hellions. How good would a nanny Madeline Pryor duo? Oh my god, nanny! I think nanny. I mean, there are a couple like John Greycrow. uh, Greycrow is uh, really good. Um, He has a great uh, dynamic with uh, Quanin. Like the book doesn't have to lean too much on on Havoc, who who is is. I I love how ashamed he is to even be on the team. Yeah, (laughs) uh, but. nanny nanny is like the breakout star of that book like she is really i i I love every single time she's in the frame it's it's she is a delightful character oh yes i i don't know i know she existed before this but i'm glad that they sort of brought her back to the forefront here um so she and Orphan Maker really only appeared very briefly, and I think it was like the late '80s. They didn't have a big arc. It was odd that they got brought back for this team, but I mean, that's that's you know what I love about Hickman is is that he he really does love this shit. So like with him as head of X, he's gonna go and get like I was talking to you earlier about how you know Forge was around when Destiny died originally at the hands of Legion. She told Forge to go save Mystique in X Men Twenty. Forge and Mystique are having a conversation about him building a weapon that was maybe too big. Is that foreshadowing Forge being involved and taking Mystique's side? Uh, it, it's very possible. And it's like Hickman is going back into the 80s and uh, just picking that. Maybe I'm not reading the tea leaves well. If you're listening to this months later, you know, you can pause, look it up. And if not, you know, you can laugh and laugh. Uh, but I'm looking at it. I, I don't want. I, I I always make these theories thinking about the meme of uh, Charlie from It's Always Sunny doing the conspiracy theory <laughs> stuff. But it's a, it well, feels like it's possible, and it feels like he does care enough that it could it would happen. And I mean, they are leaning into some of the old. Uh, well, they're definitely trying to evoke the marketing of Inferno back for the original uh, right. storyline in the '80s. So 
it wouldn't shock me if they also sort of, you know, made some other connections that way. Um, also semi-related, I, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I need more Forge and specifically more of Forge and the sexual tension between him and Wolverine. Yeah, he he really is. Because, I mean, Forge... For, Forge has come and gone in the books as an area of folk. Like, he's... I, 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 sometimes, like, he appears and you're like, oh, I forgot about him. And even in Krakow... Like, he was a major part of Krakow in the beginning. We haven't seen a ton of him lately. Fantastic. Yeah, he's been off in his, like, workshop or something, essentially. Yeah, fantastic character. I couldn't agree more. Um, So I think we've covered, like, basically... I mean, you, you know, we, we could talk for hours and hours and hours about this stuff. I think we covered the spread pretty well with one exception. We didn't, we we mentioned Cobble. We talked about Cobble stuffed animals, but we didn't really talk about uh, that book as much. And I thought the art was really weird, but I, I dug that book. That was that was a fun 12 issues. It wasn't ne- like the biggest, most necessary thing in the world. But, uh, you know, knowing knowing now that he was going to leave, it's it's pretty cool. I, I've enjoyed it. I, it, as you said, not the most necessary book, but it's been a fun little sub, sort of a sub storyline going through a lot of the Krakoa uh, era, um, and it, it was you know for a character that I feel uh, we only really got him you know one way before. It was nice to sort of see the young kid Cable and the less hardened version of him. Yeah, and they got to have a, a, a touching scene. Uh, I mean. So Cobble was like the shit in uh, the '90s, and he was in Marvel mm-hmm. vs. Capcom two, uh, mm-hmm. and then like he had a—he's really kind of fallen out of the wayside. There was even uh, a Deadpool Cable comic where uh, Deadpool made fun of him. He's probably done this a bunch of times. Made fun of him for being more famous than he is uh, now. Like his situation, he was such—he was such a massive character in the '90s. And now he's kind of fallen by the wayside, but he got to kind of come back with the Hope Summer stuff, and now she's part of the Five. Same. Like they pulled Gold Balls, who I knew from. Now he's Egg. They pulled yeah. him from Miles's. He was Miles's roommate. That's where I knew him from. And uh, all of a sudden, he's in the Five and Hope too. And she got to have a, a scene with uh, Young Nate, which I thought it was it was good. It all comes together. It's it's you know it's 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 something that rewards people who invest in this stuff. Yeah, um, and generally. Uh... You might have to read a lot of comics, but you can find moments that you'll love for pretty much any of the characters. Yeah, that's that's uh, that I couldn't agree more. Um, which is your favorite book uh, of, of them all? Not not single book series. Sorry, uh, I, I think Italians. Um, yeah, I love just one. the sort of chaotic energy of all the characters in there. Sinister is a hoot. Um, the issue, I think it was issue 11 where they were in Murderverse, uh, because of arcade was a lot of fun. Um, that was a lot of fun. Not the least because, uh, they had pulled, uh, some of, I believe they pulled some of Sinister's teeth. So he was talking weird the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) And the mastermind came back. That was fun. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. appeared a couple of times. Uh, yeah, that was great. I, uh, since I asked the question, I also have to answer it. Uh, I mean, Excalibur was definitely my favorite for a long time. It might be Hellions. I mean, I knew, I, I think I knew the answer to Ed's, I probably shouldn't have even asked the question because I, I don't like us to have the same answer. And I think I knew that he, I, I think I knew already that we had the same answer. Uh, 
that yeah, uh, Hellions is great. Um, Sword Sword's been great. Al Ewing is fun. Uh, I'm still loving it. I don't want this to end. I don't want Krakoa to go away. Yeah, uh, I don't really either. Um, and like you said, uh, I thought Excalibur has been great, uh, excellent at parts. Um, sort of dropped off there for a while, but hopeful it will, you know, sort of pick back up here after. It has been, off. it has been getting better. There's no doubt about that. Are we forgetting any of the books? Children of the Atom, New X Men, X Force, New X Men One, Sword. X- yeah, I think we, I think we, I think we got them all, which is, uh, yeah, that's probably. I mean, we we've been talking a long time. Uh, Ed and I actually we talk a lot about the Flash, which I I read outside of X Men. I read a lot of Marvel, but I'm really more of a DC fan. And with the pandemic, all I do is I read a lot of comic books. And I really like DC. I read a lot of Superman. I read a lot of The Flash. I read a lot of... Uh, actually, Ed recommended Mark Wade. The library didn't have Mark Wade. And they do have Jeff Johns. So I've been reading the original Wally West Flash on my iPad. And I've been reading Jeff Johns. So I've been reading... I'm, I'm approaching Mark Wade on, from both sides. Both oh, nice. after him and before him. <laughs> well, I, have yeah. to do, I have to do Wally when I, when I get around to Wade. I need to. I know he's great. I love Mark Wade. Yeah, I grew up reading his run on the Flash. That's what got me into comics. Um, was his run uh, with Wally West uh, introducing characters like Bart Allen, uh, bringing back characters like Max Mercury. Um, it, it's a great little run. And actually, the last time I was on your podcast, we mentioned that they were thinking of doing a Flash movie, and I said I would believe it when I was in the theaters watching it, given the starts and stops and. Apparently, they're in the process of filming it now, so it looks like that might become a reality. And Keaton is apparently back. We've got Ben. I mean, we got the sound of silence. Ben Affleck, sad Ben Affleck's coming back. He, maybe he'll cry. Maybe he won't. Um, <laughs> uh, it's unclear if they're going to do Thomas Wayne in the Flash. I don't really. They don't have to. Uh, yeah, that'll be exciting. Maybe, maybe we'll see uh, Grant Gustin. Um, you know, now we're talking about DC, which means it's probably a good time to end the podcast. But. Uh, <laughs> You know, I I love Ed knows uh, people who like comic books know because I like to message uh, talking about comics and my poor partner Tara's uh, forced to suffer to he- listen to me ramble about this shit all the time. She likes comics too, but not as much. Um, I love talking about comics. It's hard to podcast about comics because you really you, you have to figure out how you're going to approach it because this stuff is you know nothing ever ends. Adrian, as uh, Doctor Manhattan told us, uh, which I quote all the time. Um, this you know, there's books every week. This this podcast is now already irrelevant. Not not irrelevant is dated because yes, we have wasted. <laughs> um, but there's been new there's been new issues. This is like it doesn't end. But Krakoa, I had to do an episode on Krakoa before it all ends, and also before I know that it all ends. I mean, maybe well, I'm I'm really bad at asking people to come on. I I think Ed probably likes talking about comics. I I would gather. I would hope so. Oh yeah. Um, maybe we'll have you back when Krakoa Krakoa ends if you'd like to come back. Um, yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, it just it, I this is sort of neither here nor there. Krakoa has been name dropped in the MCU for what it's worth. Uh, got name dropped in Loki. Loki. Uh, during the uh, TVA sort of research, I think it was maybe the third or fourth episode. That's exciting. Now, if that, I mean, maybe that would matter. I mean, on Titans, they had, I, I had screeners for that like a month before it aired. 
and they had they mentioned uh they when when uh Sir Jorah Bruce is is scrolling through potential replacements and they had Duke Thomas and Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown's name splash. Oh, wow. And I was like, holy sh- wait, have you not seen that? That I just that's not a spoiler. That's oh no, cool. you're good. I, I'm not current on Titans anyways, but that's cool. Um There's an Easter egg. Um they also and my partner I wanted to tweet it because I was really proud of her. Uh, somebody made a death in the family uh, reference and uh, she wasn't even watching the TV. She was in the kitchen and heard it and was like, <laughs> Oh my God, I get that reference. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I could tweet this. I'll get in trouble if I do it. But that was, <laughs> anyway. yeah, I and wish I liked Titans more than uh, I do, but well, I think, a, I think a lot of people are in that boat. Um, yeah. I like it for what it is, but it's, it's it's yeah that's uh that that is that is certainly a sentiment that uh is uh held with a lot of people who uh wish that i mean jeff johns is at the helm they're kind of adapting they're taking a bits from his run but uh yeah the, it could be a lot better than it is yeah but uh anyway this is not about titans although titans and uncanny x-men were at one time the two best-selling books of that you alluded to that kind of earlier with uh, x-men being popular they had a crossover which was cool so actually it does matter because x-men is crossed over with teen titans maybe kruko will end uh ravager will come and attack everybody <laughs> anyway ed uh uh we'll uh link to your twitter do you, do you have a web where we can find you uh, I don't really have a website or anything right now. Um, my Twitter is at EdRevelator34. Um, it's just dumb internet name I use. Well, I use a really dumb internet name, Ian Thomas Malone. People wonder why <laughs> I didn't change it. <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, thanks, Ed, for coming on, uh, everybody. Uh, you get to, in a few months, prove me wrong on all of this stuff. Uh, because... Uh, you know, maybe, uh, I, you know, maybe Titans will come. But anyway, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time. We'll see you next time soon because I lied, and we're gonna have more episodes coming. Up.